0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women
1: To Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams.
2: Women To Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world.
3: It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change
2: be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams
4: true philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given
3: now women to watch here's your host sue rocco Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's great to be back in the studio tonight uh, where I will be joined by Marae Walker-Smith. And Marae is the founder and CEO of CEO Academy for Youth uh, just outside of Philadelphia here in Chester, PA, and she's going to be joining me in just a moment As we go into the breaks, be sure you stay with us for our watch team of on-air contributors bringing you all kinds of great information around health, leadership, technology, diversity, and education. And another reminder that Dawn Zier, the CEO of Nutrisystem, is going to be joining us this month for our brand new wellness watch. So stay tuned for that. Um, as our audience continues to grow, I receive some of the most amazing messages about women leading from all around the world. So please feel free to reach out to me anytime at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two watch.net. And be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletters to see who's in our lineup. So now, with any, without any further ado, <laughs> I should say, uh, I'd like to welcome to the show Marae Walker Smith. Thank you for having me, Sue. Thanks, it's great (laughs) to have you with me here in the studio. And uh, as I mentioned to you just before we got started, I really am so incredibly impressed with your life story and your career. Um, And as always, I wanna start with uh, the young Murray Walker-Smith and talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about your upbringing and what kind of uh, fueled your passion for the work that you're doing today. And um, you grew up in Chester and in what you described as a low-income drug and crime housing project Um, as the youngest of seven and raised by a single mother. Tell me, my my first question is about what is a young girl in that kind of environment uh, was scary for you? Um, I think it was
1: a a lot of scary things. Um, I saw my uh, first um, dead body at the age of 12 years old and um, as as much as my mother tried to protect us from the the environment um... you know it's no way to completely isolate yourself from what goes on outside your door um, and so i think that there were a lot of those kinds of challenges um, a lot of temptation to um, to make bad decisions and to get involved with um, just negative people and all so um, i really credit my mother for you know, providing a strong foundation and loving and nurturing and uplifting home um, for, you know, for my myself and my siblings, um, which helped to uh, keep me on a straight path.
3: Was your mom someone you could go to with your fears, anxieties, you know, feelings about those kind of experiences?
1: Well, you know, the the interesting part about it is that my mother was very much um, a community activist and she was on the front line trying to um, eliminate a lot of the problems that occurred in our neighborhood. Um, so she worked um, very closely with the, um, the housing development um, directors and managers there. And she worked with the city and um, even a lot with the people, uh, trying to get them help and, and resources and all to, um, to prevent them from getting involved or, or redirecting them when they were on the, the wrong path
3: you know, you were the youngest of seven. So that's a lot of siblings and there's a lot going on in the household. Um, how about your siblings? Were they, as older brothers and sisters, people that you could rely on and, and you know, go to? Yes.
1: So, you know, my um, my brothers, um, I consider them to, to be fathers. They were very protective of me. Um, and um, the same with my sisters. So, you know, we, we're a close, tight-knit family. So I was able to, uh, to go to them with a lot of different things. Um, When my community, when there was a gang war occurring in my community, my mother actually sent me to uh, live with my older brother who had left and um, got a job and and purchased a home in another area. And so I spent my summers there with him and my weekends there. So I got a chance to see um, other things and, and be in a safer environment as well.
3: What years were those? What, what years were you growing up in? So
1: that you, um, I actually stayed in. I was born in the uh, housing project, and I stayed there until I left and went to uh, to college, and came home, and then started my career, and left out.
3: Was that in the eighties? It was in that the eighties, nineties. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, what would you say? You know, having your mom being involved in the community and doing what she could to make a difference. How did watching her do that influence? Who you are today and how you make your choices.
1: It it had a a very big um, impact on my life. Um, One day, you know, when we were walking through the community, and you know, I saw a lot of the the the, the challenges that the community had. I asked my mother, I said, "Mom, why is our community like this, but other communities are not?" And she Mm. said, "Politics." and so i didn't know what politics was or anything but i knew i wanted to know what it was and i wanted to to get involved with it so that i could you know make a change because i saw her Um, you know always having meetings and always using her voice and um, just being an activist for for making changes so um, because of that I I went to college and majored in political science
3: right Mm -hmm. Um, which is just one of your many degrees Um, we'll talk about that Uh, was there ever an episode of any violence against your own family
1: um, I don't think it was any violence against our, my family. Um, I think that we all had our challenges. You know, um, My mother had challenges because sometimes when you're trying to raise your, your children different from what appears to be the norm in the community, you know, you're going to be faced with those kinds of issues. Um, you know, there were some, some challenges where you know, there may have been some family members that may have um, made some bad choices. Um, And my mother, you know, was right there and and was, you know, just making sure that, you know, they understood that she was there to support them. And also, you know, just dealing with the the community in general. Uh, The community respected my mother because they knew what she was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So they would not um, have a lot of the negative things in, in front of her home or Um, they would just respect her she asked them not to um, you know indulge in drug activities and things in our front door you know in front of our door and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, because you know they knew she was someone that was genuinely trying to help people if someone was hungry she would help if they were going to be evicted from their home or if they needed a place to stay um, she was just that person to to help out wherever she could and how she could the important part about it is my mom who only had an eighth grade education um, you know, she she really um, just picked up everything. She absorbed so much and was able to still have such a profound um, sense of what it was to do and how to connect services and things. It, it's just it was amazing to watch her.
3: Was she uh, a quiet leader, or was she really out there no, with a loud
1: voice? My mother was really out there with a loud voice, and um, you know, she quickly started to understand how politics played a part in that. Um, and so, you know, when things were going bad and all, um, she'd march over to City Hall and, you know, she'd stand downstairs and demand to see the mayor. And, you know, so, yeah, <laughs> she's definitely yeah. someone that uh, people began to realize that they needed to, you know, speak to and respond to her yeah. concerns. And listen to. Yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your high school years. And, you know, what was your level of confidence during high school? Um,
1: you know, I guess my level of confidence was... I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> so you know, um I you know I participated in a lot of activities and so I participated in a lot of activities, and um you know i I was really you know, a late bloomer. I didn't make a decision to go to college probably until like I was in eleventh grade. so um you know, but I really enjoyed my time at Chester High School, and that's my um you know I'm an alumni there, and I really enjoy um, being able to be supportive to youth and whoever i can help in our community
3: okay we'll pick up with that when we come back from the break stay with us for our leadership watch and our health watch you're listening to women to watch we'll be right back
2: women to watch leadership watch
3: hi everybody holly
5: dowling here with your leadership watch and today i'm going really vanilla at first i'm going to use the word brand Yep, we talk about brand all the time, don't we? A lot of buzzword, especially for leaders out there. What's your brand? What's your company's brand? Do you know what your brand is? And we've been using that word so much that I finally dove really deep into it this last year. And what I want you to know is brand is really how you show up to the world. It's who you are. So instead of looking at it as a brand, I'm going to give you a challenge today. What's your word for the year? If I could have you put on a T-shirt... In three words, two words, or one word, what would be your word that embodies who you are? So what do I mean by that? When you leave someone's presence and you are gone, what are they saying about you? What influence have you left? What entire body of a word do you want to be this year? So you see, last year, my word was joy. I wanted joy. I choose joy. It's how I choose to live. It's when I wake up. It's how I want people to feel when I'm in their presence, one-on-one or in a group, and when I leave. I want them to be saying, that woman is about joy. So this year, my word is extraordinary. And in everything I'm choosing to do, I'm looking at it through the lens of extraordinary. And you know what? I want you to feel that you had an extraordinary experience if I am serving you, supporting you, or just having a one-on-one conversation with you. So what's your word for the year? Because trust me, your brand starts with choosing intentionally your word. And I mean start this year thinking clearly about being intentional what's your brand, what's your word, and start showing up, start living it. And as a matter of fact, here's the challenge. Don't tell anybody. Just do it for yourself and then challenge your team to pick a word and make that their word for the year, and then watch the magic that happens. Watch how people react. I'd love to hear from you. HollyDowley.com.
3: Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC log on to fhbear.com to learn more that's fhbaird.com so if you need a financial advisor you can trust call kristen hillsley at 610-238-6636 that's 610-238-6636
2: now the women to watch health watch for health watch i'm dr Marianne Ritchie. january Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. What is a cervix? Well picture a light bulb. The upper round part is the uterus where a baby grows and the narrow base is the cervix. A pap smear, a swab used to collect cells from the cervix and it can find abnormal cells that we treat before they turn to cancer or early cancer when it's easier to cure. Another screen test is HPV, human papillomavirus. The virus linked with most cancers of the cervix Don't confuse this with HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus, which can cause AIDS. Now about 80% of sexually active men and women are infected with HPV at some point in life, but your body usually clears the infection and you never know you've had it. But in some cases it can linger and cause cancer of the cervix. Most cases do not lead to cancer, but this is why you have to be screened. HPV is spread by sexual contact, vaginal, anal or oral, all women should begin screening with pap smears beginning at age 21 even if they haven't had intercourse because they may have been intimate in a way that exposed them to hpv also not all cervical cancers are from hpv you may be at risk if your mother used a medication called des when she was pregnant with you recommendations depend on age they differ for women's ages 21 through 29 then 30 to 65 and then over 65. also if a woman has had an abnormal pap smear or if she's immunosuppressed from HIV or medicines like steroids or transplant drugs, screening may have to be done more often or start at a younger age. The American Cancer Society has a great website, www.cancer.org. Review the guidelines, talk to your doctor to find the best plan for you. And remember, HPV vaccine for your children, Gardasil 9. Boys and girls should start at age 11 to 12, sometimes as young as age nine. They'll thank you for it someday. Prevention's important in everyone. This is Women To Watch with Sue Rocco.
0: Talk Radio 1210 WPHD.
3: Thanks so much for being with us tonight for another uh, week of Women To Watch. My name is Sue Rocco and I'm talking to Murray Walker-Smith, who's the founder and CEO of CEO Academy for Youth uh, in Chester, PA, just outside of Philadelphia. And uh, before the break, we were talking about your high school years. I want to mention your extensive academic um, resume, I'll <laughs> say. You received a BA in political science from Delaware, a master's in English and publishing from Rosemont, another master's in public administration from Widener, and a Six Sigma Green Belt in healthcare, which I have to ask what that is, um, from Villanova University, which is my um, alma mater. I would. I'd. Lo- I really want to know where your, um, just your passion for academics stems from. But tell me about that. That uh, green belt in healthcare. What is that?
1: Um, it basically um, is the principles in terms of Six Sigma, and it deals with quality assurance. And uh, there's a green belt, black belt, and it's the way that you um, can look at managing a uh, organization, um, making sure that there is no waste, and um, just you know the overall quality of an organization itself.
3: Okay, and and you know, I'm assuming your, your mom, as you were growing up, spoke to all of you about the importance of education, right? Mm-hmm. And her not having that opportunity to go and receive um, a degree, that she wished that for you. Um, besides that, that, that messaging from her, are you someone who just innately wants to continue to learn and, and absorb as much as you can? I do. Um, I think, you know, my mother always
1: told me that, you know, the the only true way to freedom is to have uh, education. Um, Where you live doesn't define who you will be in this world, but, you know, you have to get your education. So for me, um, you know, I'm always learning, whether I'm in a a formal learning environment or um, learning online or reading uh, additional information, then, you know, it's just something that I'm passionate about.
3: You know, throughout your career, you've worked in, in multiple industries. So it hasn't just been education. You've worked in healthcare and development um, and education in city government. You were appointed um, as deputy mayor of Chester. Um, a couple of questions I have for you. First, which one of those arenas do you feel most inspired in? Um, let's let's start with that question. Then I want to talk about what you've seen change between your time there um, and what you're seeing today around the culture of politics.
1: So I would say probably um, education you know um, that's inspired me a lot uh, coming from my environment and I feel like I've had to work a lot harder because of the challenges with our educational system and I really don't want other children to uh, have to experience that when it comes down to going to college and also um, you know I've definitely been inspired by education um, but you know my my true passion was politics um, because that was always so connected to my upbringing and I spent 17 years in, in the political arena so um, you know, I've seen a lot of different things, worked on a lot of projects, and um, I think that that inspired me as well to to go forth in the world and, and to make a difference.
3: Would, can you talk about your experience in that role? <clears throat> you know, because what we're seeing today is such a big, big divide uh, between Republicans and Democrats on on all issues. Um, what was your experience like? Um, I think my experience was was very different.
1: Um, being a female, um, I was young. And um, being a minority uh, in in an arena where, you know, there's just so much, uh, so many different challenges that you have to face um, with trying to uh, get people to understand what the real challenges are at the grassroots level, um, because a lot of times people that may be in politics aren't always aware of that. And, you know, you rely a lot on your, you know, county and state partners to uh, get a lot of the funding and to make a lot of the, you know, big decisions that will impact your community. So, um, you know, I think the the division that uh, you see today, um, it was something that, you know, was there years ago. It's politics. It's politics. Yeah. mm
3: -hmm. I guess, you know, sometimes I wonder, can we ever not have that conflict? Um, When you're talking about people with with different views and opinions and then um, having to compromise on those values, that's a tough thing.
1: It's it's very tough, um, simply because I think that sometimes people have their own agendas. Uh, And that's something that, you know, it's a personal issue. I mean, we all get involved with politics for different reasons. And, you know, so, and and sometimes that's good. It's good to have different opinions and different people seated at the table because that's what diversity is about. But we do have to uh, come up with a way that we can make the best decisions for our community because there are a lot of challenges in our
3: communities. What was, um, you know, at the top of your agenda when you had that opportunity to...
1: Um, violence you know that that's one of the the biggest challenges that um, faced the community that that I grew up in and um, you know I wanted to be able to find some kind of way to to do my part uh, in helping to um, just reduce the violence in, in whatever way possible and you know I did that very early on in my career before I even got involved in uh, the political side when I was a, a, bureauc- a bureaucrat working in the health department I created an anti-violence basketball league where uh, youth from all of the different housing developments that would not otherwise be able to get along came and played basketball Monday through Thursday from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., which was the highest crime rate time. And they had workshops and all for um, on anti-violence. And the police department um, noticed a reduction in crime during that time. So I wanted to be able to um, do some of those similar projects. And um, we did some of that going into the community with the the mayor's night out and just really, um, you know, trying to bring the community together.
3: Mm. We're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to ask you about, you know, what your proudest moment was for you uh, during that time as, as deputy mayor. We'll be right back. Stay with us for our Tech Watch with Mary Manzo. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group,
5: a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the
2: women to watch. TechWatch.
4: Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. The last couple of weeks, my segments have been about the lack of women in the technology industry and why it matters and what are some of the steps to closing the gap. To recap, when men and women work together, their complementary traits create innovation in the workplace. And although more companies are including women in their technology roadmap, the percentages of women earning computer science degrees keeps decreasing. To break the cycle, we have to address the issue top-down and bottom-up together. Last week, I spoke about the top-down. This week, I'll talk about the bottom-up. A psychologist friend told me, because boys and girls are wired differently, boys will naturally excel in technology education. That answer bothered me. I didn't like it, and I refused to believe it. So off I went to do some research. My daughter, who works in the educational system K-12, through provided me with information that gave me hope. Through 21st century learning, the approach to the information age is revolutionizing the way boys and girls learn starting in preschool through 12th grade. The focus is on the skills necessary to succeed in future jobs. When 21st century learning was being formed, business leaders were asked what skills the future employee would need. The response was employees will need to think critically and creatively, collaborate with others, solve problems, lead, and make decisions. Therefore, 21st century core focus is on learning, literacy, and life. Now add STEM learning to 21st century learning. STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Across the country, elementary schools are incorporating computer science and STEM learning at the preschool age and up without any gender bias. The way students are being taught at a very early age is much different than the way we were taught and takes the future of work into consideration and eliminates gender bias. As example, the new new math, it's taught in such a way that it doesn't matter how a boy or girl is wired. This is music to my ears and is one of the ways I believe the top down and bottom up approach will shorten the gender gap and bring more women into to the technology industry. What are your thoughts? Email me at mary at
3: I'm having a wonderful conversation this evening with Marae Walker-Smith, the founder and CEO of CEO Academy for Youth. And she was sharing with us her experience as the deputy mayor of Chester, which must have been a really <laughs> tough, tough job. Um, when you left there, did, did you have a proudest moment, a proudest professional moment?
1: Yes, um, I think it was probably during the uh, the summer Um, that I was leaving and the um, people in in the community presented me with um, a plaque and, um, you know, let me know how much that they would miss me and and would wish me well and all on my my new journey. And um, so that was a, a very proud moment for me because that let me know that the 17 years that you know I, I was working in government that I've touched so many people's lives and and made a difference and all and um, you know it was good to be able to to receive those accolades from the community.
3: So talk about your your next step you went to work for Blue Cross. I did yes I went to work for Independence Blue Cross mm-hmm. um,
1: wonderful place um, and you know I look at that as a um, a pivotal turning point in my my career. Uh, I learned so much at Independence Blue Cross, not just about healthcare, care, but just about business and people and um, just networking and uh, growing and, and the mentorship. So that was a, a really great um, place to work. Um, and I, I'm just so honored for, to have that opportunity to, to be able to support the, uh, the wonderful team that Dan Hilferty is leading down there.
3: Um, I, I want to make sure we, we leave time to talk about the Academy. Yes. Uh, for you. And my yeah. first question is tell me the catalyst for the moment you know that you decided to, to start this and it was recent. It wasn't that long ago, mm-hmm. 2017. Yes. So um, when I worked for the, the clinic, um, a
1: nonprofit organization in development, um, that probably two or three years ago, um, they were looking for an opportunity to raise some funds. And so, you know, I I was thinking outside of the box from the traditional ways. And um, so, you know, but I also was thinking about the education and all of the resources that they had there in terms of education, um, that we could combine that in, in addition to the fundraising aspect. I created a program called Girls in Medicine. And Girls in Medicine was a uh, two-week intensive program in which the students uh, attended a one-week uh care intensive where there would be various doctors that volunteered their time to come in and talk about different health topics. And then they would have a one-week shadow experience with a female mentor uh, in one of the medical practices or in a hospital setting. Uh, So, after that program um, generated a number of revenue, and I saw the the need in the market for it. The parents kept saying, hey, we want more, and the program really outgrew the mission of the clinic. Um, I decided to try to go forward and and to fill the void and and develop an Academy, CEO Academy, which is Creative Educational Opportunities.
3: So one of the toughest things in starting an organization like that is the funding. And I'd love for you to share what your approach is, uh, or was, in in securing those partnerships with organizations that would help uh, allow these programs to be free to the students. Mm -hmm. So the programs are actually
1: um, tuition-based programs. And my um, biggest partnership was with the Chester County Economic Development Council and they had a youth program there, and so it was a a perfect marriage for us to begin to work together. They had a lot of the uh, partners and resources, and I had partnerships that I was bringing with me from my work in the field. And so um, we were able to work together to Uh, launch uh, something called the Healthcare Connect Academy for for youth. It's the only program where students come in and they're coming in probably as a cohort starting with grades 12, um, or ages 12 to 13, and then they move to the next level which is 14, then 15, then 16 uh, to 18 year olds. Um, So that was a success um, that we created. This year I am developing 11 programs for uh, Chester County Economic Development Council in STEM. And you know, I'm really proud of the the work we're doing with girls. We have a girls in forensic science and medicine, a girls exploring um, engineering program. So there are a number of different programs to, you know, start to um, create a pipeline for you know for young ladies to go into STEM careers.
3: Mm. Why do you think we're seeing so many um, programs, educational programs? outside of the regular school day. Um, and we're seeing that across not you know, just STEM, but all areas, uh, particularly for, for young girls, around leadership and development. Um, why do you think now we're seeing so much of that? I think that
1: it's becoming... Um uh, another extracurricular activity for one you know uh, outside of the students that may be interested in dance and sports you know there is still a population of students that are interested in exploring different careers um, also i think that the college admissions process is becoming a lot more competitive and so students are um, looking for other ways to, um, to increase their, their uh, opportunity to get into college. And so some of these programs help with that because there are certifications and, and the networking for letters of recommendation. Um, so I think that there are a number of reasons that you know, people are building out these programs. Um, I think that it's definitely a a positive experience for students, specifically um, when it comes down to leadership and and young ladies being able to find their voices and to to go forth in the world and and to do great things.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity as well to kind of teach young people real world, um, you know real world experiences yes. and what they're going to face right in addition to just the academics yes it's really really important um, we're going to take one more break and when we come back i want to talk about the chester county women's commission uh that you sit on the board for we'll be right back please stay with us for our education watch and diversity watch
6: Peace be upon you all, this is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. Vanity is overrating one's own efforts or assets and undermining others. A beautiful Muslim woman sees her beauty as a gift from God and knows that she has nothing to do with this beauty, but is rather entrusted on it. Muslims look at all the blessings in their life as gifts that they need to thank for and use in ways that please God. Seeing those gifts as something that they have earned is a way of being ungrateful, according to Muslims. Even the knowledge that someone has, or say a doctor or a scientist, can be taken away at any given minute, so the act of thanking for it preserves it. It's a process that requires continuous and instantaneous checking. This is why the heart of a believer is always thankful and comes from a place of abundance. Modesty invites people to keep looking for areas of improvement, unlike self-centric people, who see themselves beyond criticism and don't take feedback well. This notion is not just applied on the individual level, but also on the collective level, such as well-known families, for example, or city dwellers versus suburbans, or certain nationality claiming superiority over another. Does that mean that there are not vain Muslims? Of course there are. This is a religion practiced in various degrees by 1.8 billion individuals worldwide. So let's mind the nuances. The Qur'an directly and indirectly invites people to stay detached from earthly matters and stay modest. Listen to this verse in chapter 76, quote, Was there not a time in history when you were nothing, End quote. I feel like the verse is giving people a point of reference to stay grounded in their sense of accomplishment and stay focused on what is important. Today's prophetic ethic is modesty, my friends. Feel free to connect with me on hannadyspeaksout.com.
0: Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You
5: see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something.
0: Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives, and her show is listened to in 87 countries.
5: Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity
0: listen to our internationally <laughs> acclaimed podcast a celebration of you holly dowling empowering those who can change the world holly this is the women
2: to watch education watch hi
7: i'm colleen Hanich, president of LaSalle university and this is your education watch i believe today we're talking about college fit so what goes into that Fit is such a subjective idea, but fit is when a student finally realizes that this is their place. Sometimes fit, college fit, is completely inconsistent with whatever list that student might have written ahead of time of the things they must have in college. It must be big, it must be far away from home, it must have these sport teams. And then when a student gets to the college, it is a completely different set of criteria and factors that really fit for them. What are some good questions they can ask themselves? Well that is the key point in this, Susan. A student has to be um, asking, am I comfortable on this campus? Does it feel safe? Can I imagine myself being here among these students? Do The students that I've met, whether they're tour guides or ambassadors or, or um, upperclassmen, do they seem like the kind of students that I want to be around? How are the faculty and staff? Are they welcoming? Am I excited about the faculty and the programs? And what about the values? What are, do my values line up with the campus values? If it's a campus that's committed to social justice, does that resonate for me? These are all really important questions and if a student is not answering, asking them to himself or herself, parents need to be directly involved in prompting these questions.
3: For a parent who's listening, how do they know it's the right
7: fit? You know what, it's the most impossible thing to describe, only to say, you'll know it when you see it. So I have gone through this process with two kids, and I will tell you, they're walking along, and all of a sudden, they look different. Their eyes light up. They walk a little straighter. They look relaxed because there's no more stress. They have found their place. Sometimes they don't know it, but you absolutely will. So as a parent, you know your child. You need to watch for that magical light.
3: Yes. Terrific. Thanks, Colleen. Thank you. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210. Welcome back. I'm talking to Marae Walker-Smith this evening, the founder and CEO of CEO Academy for Youth. Um, you know, we started out with your your upbringing in, in Chester um, in a, in a tough, tough neighborhood. Before we get to the Chester County Women's Commission, I wanted to ask you what you think it is about you that allowed you to break free from... Um, an area like that and do something really purposeful and meaningful in your life and that perhaps other people don't have that ability to do?
1: Um, I think that um, two things. One, um, you know, just being able to have the, the strong foundation and my mother, um, you know, always pushing me. You know, she, she was really a driving force for me. But, you know, from a personal perspective, um, I learned very early that it, you know, hard work pays off. And the harder you work, the you know the more rewards in that. So you know, I think that I'm just a, a naturally driven person, and um, you know, I I see so many uh, areas of change that you know, if we all work together, that we can really make a difference. And you know, that was just something that I saw very early on. And no matter what career path I take, I want to always be someone that. Um, you know gives back to my community I wish I had a million dollars I'd build you know great things there um, in the city of Chester because it really is a, a great place, and there are so many wonderful, talented people that come from there. And, um, you know, I, I know it can just be better um, if it had the right financial resources and support.
3: Mm. Tell me what um, happens with the Chester County Women's Commission that you sit on the board for. What what kinds of projects are you working on there? So um, I guess our newest project is that we launched a um,
1: a survey um, for the Me Too um, survey to try to really gauge um, how many women in the workplace had, you know, experienced some of those kinds of challenges. Um, so that's, that's a new project that we're working on. And so, um, you know, if people are interested in, in completing that survey and they live or work in Chester County, then please go to the Chester County Women Commission's um, website and, um, you know, complete that survey. Um, but we also support a num- number of women organizations um, in our region that are doing a lot of great things. Um, so we, um, you know, make sure that we are connected to them and uh, try to support them in whatever way possible.
3: You know, I guess I have to ask if you have any future a uh, political aspirations yourself <laughs> or do you want to just kind of stay where you are with you working know, with the youth and- you know, it's
1: interesting you say that i think that i i do want to always be involved in politics cuz i think that it's it's important as you know as women that we're involved in politics and we saw that in 2018 with the number of women entering the uh, the, the Congress and all from their races. but I think I want to kind of be from the, the educational perspective. I think that that's you know um, a way to really empower people to, to get to the booth and to make informed decisions so that we have the right leaders. So you know I'd love to be able to um, to, to talk about it in different forms and to host shows and you know really be out in, in the community and all really um, just educating people and, and talking to other women that are involved that can inspire. Um, people to get involved with politics.
3: I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity for you as well to be discussing this with the young girls, right? That you that you're working with on a daily basis to uh, encourage them if they have those same aspirations and let them know that if you know that's something they want to pursue, they should. And yes. we need them. Yes. Right. Yes. It's you know we definitely
1: do. I mean you know I can see in the future um, working on a, a, a girls in, in politics program or something mm. um, I think there's already one that exists um, but just something more at a local level that deals with grassroots politics and stuff just to get them involved because it's important I mean you know women grow up to be you know strong voters when you know we're at the bo- uh, voting booth a lot more um, you know we just have to continue to have our voices heard and make sure that we're electing people that represent Um, you know, a lot of the different issues that concern women.
3: Mm. Um, Another program you're involved with is the Resident Training Program. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, so uh, Chester Housing Authority, um, who has an awesome uh, executive director, Steve Fisher, um, you know, I was able to partner with them to create a Resident Training Academy, which was a program for 90 residents that they were trying to give them resources, skills, motivation and all to get to work. Um, and so we were able to uh, work with them to do um, life coaching and, and support and get them some health care certificates and um, partner with some employers to get them to work. So we were really pleased with the, uh, the results of those um, you know, individuals and uh, again that was in my hometown, the city of Chester, so it felt really good to, to do that. And then we also provided a STEM um, program, summer camp for, uh, for the students and uh, we partnered with uh, Da Vinci Science Center uh, which came in and students got a chance to to do some dissectioning and a number of other different things that they would not otherwise have the opportunity to do um, public speaking so it was really just a great summer for them. Uh,
3: Tell me um, having grown up there yourself um, and when we look around today um, in, in a lot of different cities. There, every city has an area where there are people struggling and poor and crime and violence. Tell me what you personally think would be something that can help break the cycle. Um, we continually see programs and resources and people like you that really wanna help and make a difference, and yet we continue to, to see these stories. What, what do you think it is that, that would make a difference? You know, it's interesting
1: because when I got a chance to leave outside of the community and be in other areas, um, you know, and, and even looking at the difference in the kids and all, I think that behavioral health is, is really something that's not addressed in, in those types of communities. I think that anxiety, depression, um, and a number of other different issues which um, can lead to aggression and violent behaviors aren't addressed as children um, and so that as they get older those same kind of behaviors stay with them and they just transition to um, you know more intensified um, behaviors and and maybe violence or something so I really think that if there was more attention given to those types of issues and stuff to to individuals that you would probably begin to see more of a, a reduction in those kinds of Um, cases and I don't know that we often look at it from that perspective I think we look at it from a big picture perspective which is you know how do we, we stop the violence you know we need to hire more police officers Uh, you know, all of those different things. But, you know, of course, you can't arrest your way out of things. You know, you have to definitely try to um, figure out why people are doing the things that they're doing and how you can help them. So, you know, I think that a lot of those issues could be addressed from the behavioral perspective.
3: And, you know, one of the good things, I think we are seeing more open discussions about mental health where years ago it was really kind of taboo and, and more secretive excuse me, that, you know, people who were suffering themselves only wanted to talk about physical ailments um, as opposed to, you know, uh, mental mental issues uh, and emotional issues. Right. So that's a good thing. It is. I think that it depends on the community, though.
1: I think that um, in some of the minority communities, that's still very um, taboo and, you know, secretive and people just don't want to share that or they just don't recognize when things are going on with them when they're sluggish they're tired they don't feel well and they don't have to drive anymore Mm. you know those are signs of you know anxiety or depression and a lot of other different things so i think that it still needs to be a lot of work done in the minority communities to address those issues
3: yeah listen before we end the show um if you can give us information anyone who's listening and wants to join the summer stem program yes uh if you're interested in
1: joining the summer stem program please contact us at chester county economic development council um and um you know look us up on on the web and you know we have a lot of awesome programs and hopefully you know you'll consider them and join them this summer
3: thanks so much for for coming in and sharing your story marie thank I appreciate you appreciate it me. that's it everyone for another week of women to watch thanks so much to our sponsors and watch team for helping us to bring you the real story behind her title here on top radio 1210 wpht have a great week
0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.
3: This is the story of the wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine